This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's three stories from Native American folklore. You'll learn why the next time you go on a horse-stealing raid, you should really text your significant other letting them know when you'll be home. And you'll see what to do when a ghastly specter approaches you on the road in the middle of the night, wanting to dance. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a frequently requested creature from Australian Aboriginal folklore, whose appearance is so debated that he could either be a giant horse creature or a snake with a beard. This is the Myths and Legends Podcast, Episode 19, Skeletons. This is a podcast where I tell stories that have shaped cultures throughout history. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you probably haven't heard, but really should. This week, I'm telling three stories from Native American folklore. It's been requested so much, and I'm happy to finally be getting into them. The three stories I picked for today all explore the continuum between overconfidence and arrogance, but in vastly different ways. The first story has a man who must face the result of his broken promises. The second has the forces of darkness arrayed against one man. And the third has an anthropomorphic coyote battling a giant. The story is about a Sioux warrior early in his career. He was living on the plains with a young woman, and though they weren't married, he would tell her how much he loved her, and she him. They spent each night in each other's arms. Then, one day, he told her he must go on a horse-stealing raid. I've done some research on this, and a horse-stealing raid was exactly what it sounded like. They would go capture horses from other tribes or colonists, and in that way, they would try to better their lot in life. The raiding parties offered a training ground for young warriors like our protagonist. Leading a successful horse raid with as few casualties as you can manage was an art, and sometimes the young warriors would go along without any compensation, just to learn the methods. Horses were an important symbol of wealth and political power, and successful warriors could have anywhere from 50 to 200 horses each. But this story isn't about horses. This story is about the young couple that was separated by the raiding. The young warrior held the woman and promised her he would be back, and then he would marry her. She promised, through tears, that she would wait for him forever if she needed to. He watched her tent, with the sun and a moon design painted on it as he left with the raiding party. As soon as he left view of it, he muttered to himself, The fool of a woman, he said to one of his fellow warriors. He's never coming back here. You see, he said a lot of things and spent a lot of time under a lot of blankets with a lot of different women. He went many different places on his raids, and at this point he had lost count of all the different women he told he would marry. He and his buddies had a good laugh over it and continued on, raiding and growing in wealth and renown. But the young woman never forgot. She waited for him. Years passed, and the young warrior became a not-so-young warrior. He completed many successful raids and had as many scars as he did horses. One day, he was riding through an area that looked familiar when he saw that sun and moon painted on a teepee. He sat on his horse and thought about it and remembered the very attractive young woman. He didn't have any place to stay tonight. Might as well see if she was still attractive. He opened the door to her teepee, and her face lit up. 
He had returned to her after all these years. She knew he would come back, even though everyone called her a fool. He was delighted because she was, in fact, as good-looking as he remembered, and she didn't seem to care that he had abandoned her for so many years. She made him a big meal, and they sat close and talked. He had ready an excuse of being captured or something, but he didn't even need it. After dinner, he took off his shirt, and she traced his scars as she listened to all the stories of his exploits in battle, him omitting his numerous romantic exploits. She kissed him and told him to lay down on the buffalo fur, and they spent some time together that evening. Afterward, she told him to rest and to sleep in her arms. Everything was perfect now. She was at peace. They were together at last. The not-so-young warrior woke when the sun was high in the sky the next day and was surprised, with the sleep still in his eyes, to be able to see the sun so clearly through the teepee. As his vision came into focus, he could see that he wasn't in the place he had entered last night. This teepee was half-collapsed. The wood had been weathered or eaten away, and the leather hung on it, rotting. He made to get up, but felt the weight of the woman sleeping on his arm. He moved his left hand to shake her awake. Something happened to the teepee, he said. This is super weird, and we should probably not be in here. Her arms, though, weren't the warm and loving ones he had fallen asleep in. No, these were... greasy? The warrior rolled over to look at the woman, and screamed. He wasn't sleeping next to the woman he remembered from all those years ago. He was sleeping next to her corpse, barely more than a skeleton with bits of rotting flesh still clinging to it. Barely able to process it, he looked at her hair, which was little more than a few strands which clung to what was left of her scalp, and her face, now almost completely eaten away, seemed to still be smiling that contented smile from the night before. He could feel, all over his face and body, the greasy, rotting residue from the dead woman. As it turns out, she had waited for him, and during a particularly cold winter where she refused to leave lest he return in her absence, she died there in that tent, alone. Her spirit remained, though, waiting for him, and when he finally returned, she wanted nothing more than to be with him one last time, so she put up this illusion so that she could finally be at peace. All of this sunk in for the warrior, not only that she died waiting for him, but that he had coupled with a skeleton, a ghost. He pushed the rotting bones of the woman away and jumped out of the hairless buffalo blanket, now rotted and full of holes. He sprang to his feet and ran. He left his horse and ran and ran out into the plains to get as far away from this as possible. The confident and, let's be real, jerk of a warrior was never the same after that. Something snapped in him, and he wandered from place to place, a madman. The story ends saying that he spoke in strange sounds. His eyes wandered. His thoughts went astray. He was never right in his mind again. I picked this one because it was actually very similar to a Japanese folktale I almost picked for the Halloween episode. In that one, a samurai had married a young woman he loved. But he was called away to fight and ended up divorcing his wife from afar and taking a much more politically valuable marriage. When he got back, he found his young wife elated to see him, and he apologized profusely for leaving her. She said she understood, and they spent the night together, and he woke up to the exact same thing as the Sioux warrior. I can't tell if the two stories knew of each other, though, 
The Japanese one is called, in translation, the black hair, because the author makes a point to mention the corpse's hair, which the storyteller also mentions in the Sioux story, so there seems to be at least a little bit of an overlap. The next story today has to do with skeletons too, and a competition. It's also a story from the Sioux. This story starts out with four ghosts. They were sitting together, talking, smoking ghost smoke, and having a good time as far as it's possible for ghosts to have a good time. And then they heard of a man nearby, a man who had no fear of them. Challenge accepted. They talked and made a wager. Whoever scared the man the most wins, and they put up their ghost horses. They let one ghost go first, and he left. The sun had just gone down, and there was a chill in the air, as the man who apparently had no fear was walking along the road. He looked up ahead, looked off to his left, and looked back up ahead. Now, in front of him, was a figure, hooded in black. The figure was making a ghostly clicking sound. Out of the way, the man said to the figure, but it wouldn't move. Not until we play a little game, the figure said. A hoop and stick game. And if you lose, I'll turn you into a skeleton, he said, slowly removing his hood, revealing his head, like me. The young man chuckled. Okay, let's play. And he pulled the skeleton's head off. If skeletons could make expressions, it would have been a very panicked one. He thought the man would run off in fear, with the big reveal that the stranger he met on the road in darkness was undead. But the skeleton watched helplessly, just as a skull sitting on the road, as the man removed his cloak and bent his body into a large hoop. He tied it with some grass, yanked a leg bone off, and rolled the body along. When he had done this some time, he looked at the skull. Not going to play? Okay, well, it looks like I won. Let's play a different game, called Shinny Ball, he said to the thing. To a modern audience, think of it as sort of a field hockey game. The man who had no fear hit the skull along the road with one of the legs, and the skeleton protested that it was getting a headache. The man said, you asked for this. You proposed to play a game, you silly fellow. It's okay, though. We can be finished now. If skeletons could breathe, he would have breathed a sigh of relief, and then yelled in panic as the young man kicked the skull off into the field and continued on his way. Oddly thinking nothing of this deathly supernatural occurrence, the man walked for a few more minutes, when he caught, out of the corner of his eye, a black form behind him, just on the edge of the forest. He blinked, and now he could feel it behind him. Then, a bony hand came down gently on his shoulder. How about a dance, the black figure said in a grisly, threatening tone. The young man smiled. First, yes, absolutely. Second, what are we going to use for music? I like drums, but we need a drum and drumstick. Oh, here we go. He spun around and, once again, pulled the skeleton's head off. He tossed it on the ground and pulled off both of its thigh bones. Using them, the young man began to beat the skull with them, like a drum, dancing around and singing to himself. That's not what I meant, the skeleton said. Stop it. That really hurts. You're lying, the young man said. Ghosts don't feel pain. I don't know about other ghosts, the skeleton said, 
remember still just a skull being beaten, but I feel pain. Now please, stop. The young man groaned. They were having a good time. Can't a guy just use someone's head as a drum without him complaining so much? He told the skeleton to go complain somewhere else and kick the skull aside before scattering the bones all over the road. Really, the ghost said, it'll take me hours to put myself back together. You're a bad man. The undead ghostly skeleton who was trying to scare this man said, stop complaining, the young man said, it'll give you something to do. Moving on, he saw the third skeleton standing in the road, shrouded in black. The man said to the skeleton that this, this is getting pretty repetitive. The skeleton said that the other ones the man saw were its cousins. They're soft, not like me. Now, let's wrestle, and if I win, I'm making you into a skeleton too. No, the young man said, no thank you. I'd rather not wrestle you. You seem nice enough though. Want to go sledding? There's snow on the hills. And as a quick aside, here's where the story informs us that it's apparently winter. The young man looks around. Hmm, nothing to sled on though. Oh hey, there we go, he says, and pulls the skeleton's ribcage off. He puts its head on the pelvis and uses the ribs as a sled to go down the hill. The skeleton chases after him as just a head on legs. When he got to the bottom, he said he was finished and threw the ribcage in a nearby river. The skeleton gets sad. That's, that's not really cool, it says. What am I going to do without ribs? I need those. The young man tells it to relax. The skeleton can dive in after it. He could use a bath, too, and his woman will appreciate it. But, but I am a woman, the skeleton says. That's not nice. It's always so hard to tell with you skeletons, the young man says. Well, I'll be seeing you, you pretty thing. And as another quick aside, he actually calls the skeleton a pretty thing in the original version. I can't even make this up. I love the story. He continues on and sees the chief ghost or skeleton up ahead, sitting on his ghost horse. He towers over the man who glibly approaches the dark rider. What are we going to do, the young man asked. But the rider is silent, and the dark, empty eye sockets are staring down at the man. The smile fades from the man's face as the skeleton begins talking in a low, rumbling voice. I'm not going to challenge you to a contest or threaten to turn you into a skeleton. I'm going to kill you. Oh, okay, the young man says, and I'll just read what one version says happens next. The young man made faces at the ghost. He rolled his eyes. He showed his teeth. He gnashed at them. He made weird noises. I'm a ghost myself, he says, and a much more terrible ghost than you are. The skeleton became uneasy. What in the world was going on? This man incapacitated three of his friends, and now he wasn't scared of the skeleton ghost chief? You know what, the ghost chief thought to himself. He didn't need this. The man could keep the name of the bravest man on earth. He earned it. The ghost chief turned his horse around to flee. Or he tried to. The man had gotten close enough to grab the bridle of the ghost horse, and he was keeping the chief in place. You know, I've always wanted a ghost horse, the young man said, and grabbed the chief. The chief barely had time to realize what was happening before he crashed to the ground, unhorsed by the young man. The chief broke into pieces on the ground and whimpered as the man rode off on his horse. By this time, it was almost morning, and as the young man rode into the camp, some people were up early. Like any normal person, when they see someone riding up on a ghost horse, the people were terrified, but relaxed when they saw it was the young man, whom they knew. He got off the horse and told everyone to gather around, and told them the story. 
Everyone was amazed, and they all had a good laugh about it when the ghost horse went up in a puff of smoke when the sunlight touched it. That night he was spending time with friends, drinking and laughing about the night before. They all agreed that he was the bravest man in the world. That's when his friend tapped him on the shoulder. Hey, buddy, I just wanted to let you know, you just have a tiny spider in your sleep. But he couldn't even finish his sentence. The man completely flipped out. He rolled around, screaming shrill screams, trying to get it off. He begged his friends to please pick it off. Oh my gosh, he hated spiders. Why wouldn't someone help him? He can't stand spiders. You guys are being so mean. Then, the little girl that had been watching the whole thing came over and plucked the tiny spider off the bravest man in the world. She did this just as he was on the verge of breaking out into tears because the bravest man in the world was so afraid of a tiny, tiny spider. The next and final story involves the coyote. In Native American folklore, the coyote is usually a trickster. So think like the fox in European and Asian mythologies and Loki in Norse mythology. But he's more of a hero than Loki. It's not said exactly what he looks like, but many places say that he's sort of an anthropomorphic coyote. He has a human structure, but the features of a coyote. But stories really vary about him from culture to culture. Coyote was out walking one day when he met Old Woman. Old Woman asked him what he was out doing, and he said that he was just roaming around. Nothing much. Old Woman said, oh, okay, but you don't want to go up ahead. There's a giant that way. Coyote laughed. He said, please. He wasn't worried at all. He always killed giants. And when he saw this one, he would kill it too. Coyote had never seen a giant. The old woman said, okay, well, just keep an eye out because he's closer and bigger than you think he's going to be. I don't care, the coyote said, figuring the giant could only be about as big as a bull moose. He said goodbye to old woman and continued down the road. Seeing a downed tree, he figured it would probably be a good idea to arm himself. If this thing was the size of a bull moose, he would need something to kill it. And he tore off a large club from the tree. Whistling with a club over his shoulder, he followed the road into a cave. Getting a bit deeper in, he heard a groaning and weeping in the darkness. He was far from the entrance now, so he could only squint and try to see it. And he stepped back in alarm and readied his club. He saw a form crawling out at him, groaning and reaching. He relaxed. It was a woman, and she seemed to be in a very bad spot. When she got within ten feet of the coyote, she stopped from exhaustion. What's going on? The coyote asked. The woman said feebly that she was starving. What are you doing with that big stick? Starving? How? The coyote asked. How long is this cave? And... Oh yeah, the stick? I heard there was a giant around here. I'm going to kill it with this. Face flat on the ground, the woman began a weak laughter. Okay, so what's funny, Coyote asked. You're going to kill the giant with that, she said. You don't even know. You're already in the giant's stomach. What, Coyote asked? He hadn't even met the thing. How could he possibly be in its stomach? The starving woman continued. You probably thought it was a cave when you walked in. We all did. And as she said that, the ground began to rumble a bit. The light faded from behind Coyote. The giant's too big to take in with your eyes, the woman said. He fills the whole valley and just lies on the road with his mouth open. You just walked right in. 
the coyote said. He tossed the stick aside. That wasn't going to do him any good. He kept on walking, because what else could he do? Coyote thought about it, and he apparently had time to figure out a way out, if this woman could crawl around starving to death. Following the wall in the darkness, you heard more sounds up ahead. He found more people. Now, let's just assume that they can all see each other moving forward, because he finds many people all just lying around starving to death. They struck up a conversation, and Coyote had an idea. He said that they were so foolish to lay here starving when there was food all around. They looked at the ground. What food? The coyote said, no, there's literally food all around you. If we're in a giant, we are in his stomach. We can just cut some meat and fat from him in order to stay alive. Whoa, hey, yeah, we, we never thought of that, the people said. Well, you're not as smart as I am, Coyote actually said in the original story. He took his hunting knife and cut at the side of the cave, slicing off big chunks of meat and fat for the people. They were so hungry that they didn't even care that they were eating raw giant. Coyote took some back to the woman, and eventually everyone recovered their strength and was standing around. Now, how do we get out of here? The group asked Coyote. Coyote said that it was simple. He was going to kill the giant. Since they were inside him, there must be a way to get to this thing's heart. The people told Coyote that there was a volcano here just off the main passageway, and Coyote says, perfect, that's exactly what he's looking for. Though, I don't know how either of them made that connection. Standing at the foot of the volcano, and, yeah, I'm not sure if this is just a super large cavern, or if it's like the story of Yurashima Taro, where they just completely disregard the setting, and they're somehow both inside the giant and outside by a volcano. Once again, probably not worth our time to try to parse it out. Coyote starts cutting at the volcano, and immediately, the ground begins shaking. Yep, that's the heart, all right, Coyote says, and they hear something through the tunnels, or the giant's body. Hey, Coyote, this is the giant. Hi, so please don't do that. That really hurts and will kill me. Just leave me alone and I'll let you out. If you come to my mouth right now, I'll let you and only you out. Coyote says, oh, okay, great, I'll be right there. Everyone looks at him and says, really? But he whispers to them that, don't worry, you're getting out of here with me. Here's the plan. I'm going to stab him, a lot, and it's going to get pretty bad in here. We'll need to run directly to the mouth, because there'll be an earthquake. He'll open up his mouth and take a last breath, and that's when we'll be able to escape. If we don't get out, though, he will die, and his mouth will close forever. Sound like a plan? Everyone nodded, including a large tick, yes, the insect, that was there and who wasn't mentioned up until this point. The coyote went to it and cut a large hole in the giant's heart, and the story makes a point to tell us that lava poured out, which was the giant's blood. They ran through the twisting and shaking corridor slash esophagus of the giant as it was in its death throes, until they came to the mouth, and they all ran out. Well, almost all of them. Coyote looked back and saw the tick who despite its legs, was much slower than the rest of the group. He didn't make it, and the mouth closed around him. Coyote sighed. He had almost gotten everyone out, but then he saw something wiggling through the teeth. It was the tick. He was stuck in a gap in the giant's tooth, which, sidebar, if this story and the Empire Strikes Back have taught you anything, never go into a cave that has teeth. Anyway, Coyote pulls him through by his insect arms, but everyone is alarmed on the other side by what they saw. Look at me, the tick says. I'm all flat. Coyote cocks his head to the side. 
Yeah, wow, the wood tick was flat. Coyote shrugged. It must have happened when he squeezed him through the mouth. Looks like wood ticks will always be flat from now on. The last line of this story, as it is written, is, I guess I'll get used to it, said the wood tick. And he did. If you've ever pulled a hungry wood tick off your dog, you'll notice that they are remarkably flat. Apparently we can thank Coyote, and a giant, for making them that much harder to find. These stories are just amazing. Of course, there are much more serious stories, like the first one today, and we will absolutely cover them in time. But I appreciated the level of humor in the latter two stories today. Many times I adjust the dialogue to still convey what happened, but include sort of a modern perspective. But I hardly did that at all today. Most of what I said was directly out of the stories. All of them did such a great job of taking big themes, like overconfidence, bravery, and ingenuity, and tell them in such a way that you can actually take something away from the story while still enjoying a really good tale. Even better, they played with my expectations and surprised me, which is something I always appreciate. Expect to hear a lot more Native American stories on here from time to time. Next week is Mystery Even to Me. I recorded this last month so I could take a little more time off for the holidays, so we'll all just have to wait and see what next week holds. I want to say thanks to Tixlix, Diveg, Renuka Bolero, The Jaw One, Haraset, Gahags, I'm Amander, Rip My FB, Chaotic Neutral, which is a great name, Cine Sinner, Layla Rose 26, and Rob B713 for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you all so much, and if you'd like to leave a review for the podcast, iTunes is very much the best place for now. It does help new people find the show, and you can go to itunes.mythpodcast.com. And, of course, there's a membership thing on the site. I'm going to hold off on thanking new members at the moment, because I'm recording this in the past, but if you'd like to hear the extra episodes and get Source Pack eBooks for $5 a month, less than the price of a keychain that has a little earwax removal tool on it, which you really shouldn't use, you can support the show. Check out support.mythpodcast.com if you're interested. The creature this week is the Bunyip from Australia. This is a listener request, so thank you to Maddie on the website and Sarah Carr and Charlie B on Twitter for requesting this one. The Bunyip is a large, river-dwelling creature from Australian Aboriginal folklore. There's agreement as to where it lives, rivers and swamps and billabongs, and what it eats, mostly people and livestock, but little else. No one really knows what it looks like. It can be feathery or scaly, have a horse tail or a seal-like tail. It can be completely wild or half-human. It can either be massive or the size of a large dog. It can have a large horse head or be a snake with a beard. It's been known to lurk in the water and jump out and eat livestock and people, though it apparently prefers the sweeter meat, whatever that means, of women and children the most. It attacks mostly at night, and can even live in wells. No one really knows what the original source for the bunyip was. Theories include seals that got lost upriver, larger-than-average koalas, and anyone who's heard the listener-supported episode knows what a horrifying sound they can make, and other creatures. I've posted all the different pictures I could find of them on the site, and, like you can imagine, they vary wildly. When in the water, it swims like a frog, and when it gets out of the water, it's 12 or 13 feet tall. It isn't one for stealth, it doesn't need it. You will hear its terrifying bellows long before you see it, and it's known to be incredibly strong, and, according to one source, kills its prey 
by hugging it to death. That's it for the show this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Links to the other music I used are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>